0: From First Samuel, chapter number one, there was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zoph in the hill country of Ephraim. Now, see that's that's really good linguistics right there. And if those so of you that struggle with enunciation you need to read a verse like that over and over and over, right? He was the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, son of Tuah and Zoph in of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented a sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Peninnah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Panina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. So, Father, thank you for revelation. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for moms that are present. May they be extra specially blessed in this meeting. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's pretty amazing to look back at the array of mothers in the media. If you recall, when television was safe to watch, Uh, yeah, one of the moms when I was a kid that I thought was pretty cool was June Cleaver. (laughs) She was the only mother I've ever seen who actually vacuumed in pearls. Did you ever notice that? It's like, wow. Then then there was Shirley Partridge. She was cool because she let her kids. Grow their hair really long, and she played in a rock band with them. And there were some people who really thought that band existed, you know. And then there was Carol Brady of the Brady Bunch. She was kind of the ultimate blended family mom. In Happy Days, Marianne Cunningham, you know, she was sweet, but somewhat gullible, but she always knew how to handle the fawns. She did. And Claire Huxtable, sweet, attractive, engaging, you know, she worked outside the home a great mom portrayed there. Then we have the modern family, oh boy, with Claire and stepmom Gloria and their wacky family. Yeah. And uh, Beth Pearson of This Is Us, always taking care of others. Christina Braverman of Parenthood, the trials of breast cancer and reigning in her family. When you think about motherhood, all of us realize it's a multifaceted and multidimensional role. A lot of things moms get to do, right? Uh, Forbes magazine uh, was trying to assess a price for motherhood uh, just recently. <clears throat> and they did a mom survey because they're daycare center teachers, CEOs, psychologists, cooks, housekeepers, laundry machine operators, computer operator, facilities manager, janitor, van driver. And how many hours moms work at all these variables and multifaceted aspects of their lives. If we would have to pay to outsource for all their responsibilities, according to the survey, the stay-at-home mom, salary would be about $125,000 a year um, for a 40-hour week plus the 55 hours of overtime, okay? Yeah. The average working mom who's already got a job outside the home who comes home and then picks up all these responsibilities. Um, extra pay. She and just in her overtime, she'd be making somewhere up in about seventy thousand dollars a year, additionally to what she earns outside the home. And the article concluded that the breadth of mom's responsibility is beyond what most workers could ever experience day to day. Imagine if you had to attract and retain a candidate to fill this role. Try to find somebody you could hire to do that. Right? Amazing. It's amazing all the dimensions they they have. So today, we're not going to look at society as examples. It's time we look at the multi-dimensional book, the biblical record, because it really gives us the true understanding and skinny of what it means to be an ultimate mom. And as I look out at the audience, I know that moms here are not just shooting to be average. You want to be a superhero mom, and you want to knock it out of the park. You want to be the one, right? The one. And you can be because God wired each mom uniquely. I and mean, He loves the role of motherhood, and he wants the absolute empowerment and best for your life. Anytime the Bible gives a lot of ink to a certain character, we need to press the pause button right there and study that person. And This is a mother of the Old Testament that God had given a lot of ink to. Her name is Hannah. Hannah was a very special mom because she dealt with a lot of special people under very unique circumstances. The moms here can relate somewhat to her. Moms also can download a lot of the qualities of her life because Hannah shows us what it takes to be an ultimate mom. Let me give you the backstory for this drama. This story is found in the book of First Samuel. Israel was in a moral tailspin. I'm talking about wheels were off. This thing was a mess. They were having some serious problems. They were leaderless and rudderless. They were not worshiping the one true God any longer. This was penned during the time of the judges. And remember Samson, the he man with the she weaknesses, the biblical stud, you know, the rock, right? He had just died. And the nation is hydroplaning. I mean, it's a mess. And here's a great principle that you can see from God's word. And you see in this lady's life, whenever God wants to bring up To the stage, an impactful man or woman, he always uses a godly mother, always. In the middle of the turmoil, in the middle of this madness in history, God taps Hannah on the shoulder and asks her to be mother to one of the greatest men to ever walk the face of the earth, the prophet Samuel, one of the greatest leaders ever in Israel's history. W.A. Cadwall said, no nation is greater than its mothers, for they are the makers of men. Amen to that. So let's check out her story. Right up front we see Hannah was married, but her husband, Alcana, was not perfect. He was not a perfect guy. I think Donna married the last perfect man around. I really do. All right. hey. The smile on her face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alcanna had two wives, Hannah and Panina. What? Really? One of the things I love about the Bible is God's word is real. People all the time are saying, keep it real. We like real stuff. Reality TV shows like Survivor and Cops and the Kardashians. America's Got Talent curse of Oak Island. Oh, my goodness. World War II gold. And Mila and Noah's favorite, AFV, keep it real. I know some of you don't know what that means, right, AFV. America's funniest videos, okay, right? Okay. The Bible doesn't pull any punches. The Bible keeps it real. It tells the good side and the bad side, good decisions and bad ones. Elkanah had two wives. He was a polygamist. And right up front, you can see there's some serious trouble in the family. Hannah didn't really dig the fact that her husband had another wife. Most people would not dig that, right? Check it out, Alkana. You know, he's he's here. I am. I've got Panina, and I've got Hannah. Panina had children, but Hannah had none. Listen, this never works out well. All Kana had to do was wink at Panina, and she'd crank out a kid. And Hannah, yeah. <laughs> Anna was an ancient-day woman dealing with a modern-day problem, infertility. She was unable to bear children. I want to talk about polygamy for a second. This was the ancient culture, and God never blessed this. God tolerated it, but never endorsed it. Whenever you see polygamy in the Bible, there are consequences. You see problems, as you can imagine. And yet, Elkanah, this polygamist, in his heart, wanted to honor God. You know, when when there was more than one uh, in in that relationship, you've got Sarah and and you've got Hagar. These things don't work out well. The Bible says that he loved God and he did love Hannah. Hannah had captured his heart. She was in a tough situation and her family wasn't perfect. She's got a rival. It's difficult, demanding. It's extremely stressful. And the plot clots here in verse 6 but her rival wife taunted her cruelly, rubbing it in and never letting her forget that God had not given her children. Are you ready for that? Penina was just abusing and knifing Hannah in the back every opportunity she could for not producing children. In the middle of all the madness and the mayhem, Hanna rose above the persecution. Hanna was a woman who had a right vertical relationship going with God. She was going to serve him, and Hannah had all of this dimension down pat. She knew how to plug into the Lord. She was vertically connected to the living God. And in the middle of the madness and the mayhem, Hannah, the Bible says, was a woman of prayer. And moms, being a great mom, the ultimate mom, starts with prayer. I'm grateful for a mom who prayed for me every single day. I couldn't escape it. And because she prayed so much, God told her stuff about us as kids. I'd come home, and she'd tell me what I'd done. And I wondered, Now they didn't have cell phones. They couldn't text. How did she find this out so fast? How do you know this? Because she prayed. It begins with connecting with God and loving him and spending quality moments with him. I watched my wife do the same thing with our kids. She read, them, read their mail when they walked through the door. Mom, this book literally is your manual for motherhood. Hannah knew that, and she lived it out, crust and soul, Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried inconsolably. She was praying here for a son. She made a vow and she said, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he's been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Circle that in your mind. If you have your Bible, circle it in there If you will, she said to God when she prayed. She was saying, God, it's in your hands. God, it's not my will, it's your will. I'm giving my life to you. This is my desire for children. You know I want a child. You know what I want, but I'm giving this to you. It's your will, your agenda, your prerogative. That's a tough prayer to pray, isn't it? If you're like I am, I want God, you know, God, I want it now, this is my timing and I want it today. You don't understand God. I'm dealing with all this stuff. I need it today. That's that's the way I'm wired. I I don't have a lot of patience. So I've got to learn to wait on the will of God and the timing of God. And and this this is not an easy prayer to pray. Hannah, a spiritually mature woman said, "If it be your will." Dante said, "In his will is our peace." In other words, in God's will is where we always will be the most peaceful. So she said, if you'll indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. I will give him to the Lord. I will literally dedicate him to you. Hannah did not want a child for selfish reasons. She didn't want a child to fulfill her own fantasies. She didn't want a child so she could dress him up in cute clothes. She wanted a child for the right reasons. Hannah said, if I have one, I will dedicate him to the Lord. Periodically, I get the privilege of dedicating children, and I see the parents who are dedicating their children to the Lord They come to the platform. It's exciting. It's exhilarating to observe that. Obviously, these little ones are not old enough to make any kind of a faith decision, and and they don't understand the implications of sin or the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for them, but their parents do. And the parents are saying before God and before the body of Christ, we're going to bring up our children to follow the ways of the Lord. We're going to expose them to the opportunities to commit their lives to Christ. We're going to have them in church. We will provide them a godly home. They're going to shape them and allow God to do with them as he chooses using their abilities to bring him glory. That's what she was saying. That's what parents need to say when God blesses them with a child. That's an exciting commitment. And Hannah's saying, God, I'll do the same thing. If you'll give me a son, I will dedicate my son to you. Hannah was right with God vertically. Now watch. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord. I want to show you something funny in this story. She was in a community called Shiloh while she was worshiping. And where Shiloh was about 200 miles away from where Alcana and Hannah and Penina lived. And three times a year, they'd make the journey to go there to worship. Have you ever done this while you were praying, what she was doing? Now you're here at a Mighty Warriors prayer meeting or in your connection group and you're having a prayer time and you're given an opportunity to pray and you look at someone and they're just kind of, and their mouth is moving, but you can't hear any words. And, and they're they're praying, but they, they really get expressive and you can see it on their faces. You know what I'm saying? Hannah was doing the same thing when Eli, the lead priest of the temple, the guy who should have had a hotline to God is watching Hannah pray, right? And the Bible says that Eli thought she just walked in from happy hour. He he thought, he thought Hannah was drunk. Israel was in such a tailspin, no one even knew where God was. They were so away from the Lord. They couldn't even comprehend this. So clueless about spiritual things. Eli finally saw someone praying and thought, she must be drunk. Eli was an overindulgent parent. He was lazy, yet the pastor of the flock of God and his children, as a result, were spiritually bankrupt. He had no discernment whatsoever. He had two sons who were priests in the temple having sex with women who worked in the temple. They were abusing the sacrificial system. What a contrast between Eli, the priest, and Hannah, and even Elkanah, her husband. That's a whole other message. Hannah had the first dimension in place. Moms, I pray that you have this square in your life. She was right with God. And our self-esteem, our purpose, and identity Comes from this vertical dimension. Hannah sensed I have a purpose here on this planet. Self-esteem is seeing yourself the way God sees you, nothing more, nothing less. It's going vertical. This is who I am because of God. When we mess up, we have poor self-esteem. When we see ourselves the way others portray us or others see us, and that's that's another matter we'll get to shortly. Hannah was right with God in her relationship going upward and downward. She had that dimension down cold. But there's another mother dimension. Not only was Hannah right vertically, she was right horizontally because if we are right with God vertically, then all of our horizontal relationships need to be right also. She was right in her marriage. Hannah was married to Elkanah. The Bible says that Elkanah worshiped God. He was a polygamist, yet the Bible said he had good spiritual connection with the Lord. Check him out, 1 Samuel 1 and 3. It says, each year Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of heaven's armies at the tabernacle. As you read on in 1 Samuel, you'll see that Elkanah and Hannah had a great connection. They shared, they communicated. Hannah understood some things. Hannah understood that the marital relationship superseded every other earthly relationship. That's not taught the way it ought to be taught, both in church and in our society today. Hannah knew her relationship with God was the number one, the first and most important thing. Second to that, right behind that, was her relationship to her spouse and she understood that too. And moms, I need to ask you a question. Do you realize that? Has that ever dawned on you biblically as you search the scripture? You might have the vertical thing down, but how about the communication and communion and and, and that relationship of intimacy with your husband? Do you put your relationship with your husband above all other relationships? Because the scripture says that's the way it's supposed to be when we make a marriage covenant with a person, that that relationship now becomes the second most important relationship in our lives other than God? Or have you become what the society calls kid-centric? Do you helicopter your lives around your kids? Now it's lawnmower moms and dads, but do you say, "I love my kids, but my husband. I love him first. I'm going to orbit my life around... My first orbit will be around God. Second level of orbit is around my spouse. The third level of orbiting is around my children. Now, how do you think your kids learn about reconciliation? How are they going to learn that? How do your children learn about love and forgiveness? How will they learn values and and, and matters of integrity and endurance? How do they learn about their local church? How do they learn about scripture Here's how they'll learn. They have to watch dad and mom have a union that's unbreakable and inseparable. They're watching your marriage, and your marriage speaks volumes to your children because values are more caught than taught. Parents, husbands, and wives, if you're married, you're on stage 24-7 in front of your kids. Hannah understood that. Elkanah, in a sense, understood that as well. We, in this day and time, have to understand that. If we're going to turn the tide in this culture, we need to restore godly principles in the home and the order that God has set in the home. The Bible shows us Elkanah and Hannah worship together. One of the most important things you'll ever do in your marriage is to worship with your spouse. Husbands, make sure that worship is a priority to you. You need to lead that in your family. And as I've said many times before, something supernatural takes place when people gather together in his house collectively, and God's word is opened, and we are teachable to hear the scripture. Something supernatural takes place when you worship in a collective setting. Be connected. Be here. Be involved. This is the body of Christ God set you in, and God will bless your life for that. And speaking of worshiping together, let me see, say a, a word or two to singles, kind of a sidebar. If you're single, you might think, well, this message is not for me. How can I relate? Alcana was married to Alcana. They had a godly relationship. It was, a, it was God-centered in a culture that was heading in the wrong direction. We need to be examples in our culture today that's headed in the wrong direction because the Bible insists, singles and students, that you date, marry, only those people who are believers. It insists. Can you imagine being unequally yoked? Can you imagine being hooked up with one person going one way and the other person heading in the other direction? You can't worship together. You really can't share together. You can't have the deep relationship in the truest sense that God designed us to have. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. Is light best friends with dark? Right? Do not be yoked together with unbelievers or bound together. And that phrase, bound together, is a beautiful picture that depicts this, this concept. It's a picture of a yoke. And you've heard me talk about a yoke before. A yoke is a big wooden structure that people used in the plowing fields. It had two holes on either end. And you would yoke together animals of like strength, animals of the same kind. For example, you'd yoke together oxen or horses or donkeys, but you wouldn't put a donkey and an oxen together. If you put them together, you would have unequally yoked them, and instead of plowing in a straight line, you'd be going this way and this way, back and forth. God says only marry believers. And some you might think, well, wait a minute, is God being discriminatory? If the, if the ACLU ever sees this, I mean, goodness, they'll sue God. They sue everybody, right? No, God's not being discriminatory. This is not spiritual apartheid. God's looking out for your best interests. God is saying to you, you're, you're heading for a disaster if you yoke up with an unbeliever. Let me give you some words that'll help you comprehend what God's talking about when it comes to marriage yokes. The first word related to yokes in a relationship, in a husband and wife, intimacy, is that word, intimacy. One of the reasons that God insists on marrying only believers is because of intimacy, the deepest part of your life and mine is our relationship with Christ. Can you imagine being hooked up with someone not able to share that which is most near and dear to your heart? You can't commune about that topic. You can't fellowship about that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Because the most important topic in your life is meant to be shared with the most important person in your life, and to have that intimacy you have with God shared with each other and through each other. The next word related to the yoke to comprehend is the word security. It's another reason God insists we not be unequally yoked. If you're unequally yoked, one party will have one set of values and plans, the other party will have another set of values and plans, and you're going to spend the rest of your days fighting over those values and plans. As believers, you know, you exchange your plans for God's. Like Hannah prayed, God, it's not my will, but your will. And so you've submitted together in unity your plans to the Lord. How about harmony? That's another word. God wants to marry and date only Christ followers because of harmony. We're going to have disagreements and arguments because we're all imperfect people. To have a harmonious relationship You have to have the same source to go to when there's been a disagreement or turmoil or pulling in two different directions. The Bible says as believers, we've been given the spirit of reconciliation. When you're at odds with your spouse, you know you can't leave that lie very long. You got to seek forgiveness because it's incumbent upon us as followers of the Lord to do that. Family is another word you need to comprehend. That's why God insists that we be equally yoked because of family. God wants lineage. He wants heritage. It's not just about me. It's about what comes after me. Who comes after me? Uh, Family, my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, and their service in the kingdom of God and the legacy that they bring. Raising children is tough in our world. You turn them over to a school system that's teaching them from kindergarten about all kinds of gender equality and, and, and who who is this person? Is it a he? Is it a she? I mean, it's incredible uh, what's going on with the children and the way they're being sculpted and brainwashed from the earliest possible days of of attending any kind of a class environment so that they can get an end product as their result. They want a specific product, a godless child, a godless person who graduates college and throws away every value and anything goes mentality. It's very profound what's going on in our school system. It's not easy trying to be a mom or a parent in this day. It's not easy trying to be a dad It's not, especially not easy if you're a single parent. And what do kids learn to do? Well, it's innate in them. (laughs) They learn how to play one parent against the other. They love doing that. They learn this game. And uh, as soon as they get old enough, they'll play you. And if you present a unified front with a biblical anchor... And you can look at them and say, this is what your mom believes and this is what I believe because this is the way God has shown it to us in his word, then you're going to be able to parent in a very effective way. But if you don't have that kind of harmony and unity and family, it's not going to work very well. Conversely, if you only have one who's a believer and the other is not, you're operating off of two different agendas. And here's what the Bible says. You're going to have one who's saying, yes, you can cheat here. You can use that kind of language here. You can believe that that crazy theory today. The believer has another set of values, and they're biblically based, and you've got problems in that relationship. Well, pastor, I'm unequally yoked. I'm a mom, and my husband's not a believer. What do I do? Do I go to the Connect Center and buy all your messages and play them in his car and on all the loudspeakers I can find? Blaring at him when he comes through the door? Do I take my Bible and use it like a and whop him upside of the head? Uh, Do I use a preacher voice and start preaching to him? He's going to hell. No, you don't do any of that. The Bible says you live out a biblical example before him that will turn his head and heart, that will show him the difference that Christ makes. Even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, pastor, I'm a single mom. What do I do? This unequally yoked thing doesn't apply to me. What do I do with my kids? Single moms, you have one of the most demanding jobs anywhere. We salute you, single mom. We honor you. You've got an incredible mountain to climb every single day, every week of the of the month. Unbelievable what you have to deal with as a single mom. I want to take a moment to say thank you to single moms here. Blessings be upon you. We have phenomenal single moms here at Calvary Christian Center. They're committed to God. They're committed to raising their children for the Lord. We have ministries here for you. I want you to pray regularly a prayer that only God can answer, that he will multiply your time, because it's going to seem like they just not enough hours in the day to get done what you have to do as a single parent. So we'll ask God to multiply your time, and he'll do it. And make sure you're connected at Calvary Christian Center. Make sure you bring your children in, into the services and ministries of the church, because there are some godly role models here, And God will use them to help mentor your children, and they will need that supplement. One friend of mine, a good friend of mine, tells his story. When he was in grade school, there was a horrific car accident, and his dad died. The surviving spouse and children were left to scrape by. His mom had no work and alone. She finally got a job that she dove into the ministry of her local church. A single parent, she exposed her children to the different people in the church and ministries, along with others who became like fathers to her children. The church became their family. The leadership supplemented the family with times where they blessed them with food and clothes and some rent support. And God used that church, that mom, to build a very godly godly children and and great relationships of character in those children. Today, Al Donaldson has a worldwide ministry called Convoy of Hope. In 2019, they celebrate 25 years of global ministry. They provided hope to 100 million people in 115 countries, feeding 200,000 children every day In schools in 14 countries. They've responded to 400 major disasters. They've conducted over 1,200 community outreach events. We're helping kids who don't have a mother and helping mothers who don't have enough food to feed their kids. And breaking the cycle of poverty, we are feeding these kids but probably won't be feeding their grandkids because they're instilling in them the principles of God's love that Hal learned as a child from a godly mother who wouldn't quit, and from a local Assemblies of God church that said, we're, we're here to help you travel through this journey and come out successful. I'm grateful for this kind of commitment. So don't sit and say, well, I'm a single mom, and I don't know what I'm going to do now. Calvary Christian Center is the place for you, where there's relationships and mentoring and care. Hannah knew that. and That was a long sidebar, wasn't it? Yeah. So where was I? Anyway, in 1 Samuel 1. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. Look at that. Here's the scene. They're at Silo, they're worshiping. And back in the Old Testament, they bring these sacrifices to the Lord. They bring food and animals. And when they would do that, some of that portion went to the priests, and some of that would go back home with the family who sacrificed. When Alcana would get some of that stuff, listen, he would give a double portion to his wife. I'm talking about all you can eat, Chick fil A, with, 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 with mashed potatoes and iced tea in front of everybody. He's blessing her. We need a Chick fil A in our town, don't we? Another sidebar for a minute. Yeah, see, if you want to you come and talk to me, we need a Chick fil A. Alcana was showing everyone that, 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 that Hannah was his lady. Panina, maybe she'd get a, a little Caesar salad, but Elkanah was saying, this is my lady. This is the one. Now, let me talk to those who are married. Husband, honor your wife publicly. Never abuse her. Never argue in front of others. What's up with that? You hear people doing that. Sometimes I've been around couples, even in the church, and they get in these arguments in front of everybody. Don't do that, okay? If you've got an issue, deal with it behind closed doors. You still can't get closure, then, then see a Christian professional counselor. But build one another up, honor one another. Elkanah did it for Hannah. And Hannah began to pray again God, give me a son! God, give me a son! God answered her prayer. She became pregnant. And, and, and then they, that's Elkanah and Hannah, arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Once Hannah had her baby, she named him Samuel you've heard about Samuel. Read read his books. Samuel is one of the great difference makers in Israel's history. He was a great man of faith. The scripture says of Samuel, as he grew, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. That's how powerful a man of God he was. So, And here's what Hannah did. For three years, the story tells us, she had him, she kept him, she raised him, mothered him, in their hometown. And once he was weaned, they make a 200-mile journey back to Shiloh, and they give Samuel to the temple priests to begin to mentor him. Now, what do family experts tell us? They say that most of the child's personality, about 90% of their personalities form by the time they're three years of age. Don't you see the genius of God here? Because God allowed him to be under the tutelage of his mother for that period of time, to form his character, form the direction and steps of his life, kind of like Jacobed did with Moses when she harbored him. And, of course, he grew up to become one of the great leaders of Israel. And Hannah gave him to the Lord. Now, we don't want your children here at Calvary Christian Center 24-7. We don't want that. <laughs> don't sign them over to us. No, okay? But back in ancient days, <laughs> she brought him to the temple, the house of God, and I can see it now. We need to have more than 100 children on our campus every Sunday morning. You need to bring them here. They need to get enrolled in kid's town. They need to be in reality, kid's church. They need to be in Rangers and impact girls. So when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one F of, of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as, as, as your soul lives my Lord. I'm the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. Remember me? You thought I was drunk. For this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I've also lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. Wow. She was dedicated to God because she was dedicated to God she was dedicated to her husband. Because she was dedicated to her husband, she dedicated her child and, 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 and completely dedicated to him and then dedicated him to the Lord. So I have dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And she worshiped the Lord there. That little boy was included in that worship moment of dedication to God. How did he know how to worship at so young an age? He's about three years old or slightly older. His mom, his mom taught him. Samuel saw the vertical dimension in his mother. He saw the horizontal commitment she had in her relationships because he saw it. He worshiped God too. Moms, during the middle of the stresses and the mazes of motherhood, Go vertical. Call on the name of the Lord. Never fail to communicate with God. He is on your side, ready to help you. Get all your horizontal relationships right so that there's peace in your relationships with people across the spectrum that God's brought into your life. Because when you do that, you're going to have success in a very multidimensional culture. That's ever-changing. So moms, we honor you. For the moms no longer here, we honor you. I am who I am because of my mother and her prayers. To the moms who have given birth to children, To the moms who desire to be a mom, moms to be. To these ladies who have a great desire, like Hannah did, to be a mom. To the moms who lost a child, I can't think of any greater heartbreak. To the moms who adopted a child and brought one in by choice to make yours. To the moms who fostered a child, to every single mom, we love you. Thank God for you and are appreciative for all that you have done for us. So let's stand together. Thank God for our moms.